Welcome to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast for women who want to experience intimate relationships and sex that are pleasurable and passionate, happy, thriving and deeply fulfilling. With my very special guest experts guiding lights and pioneers in their specialist areas, we'll be breaking down the myths, exploring the difficult stuff, the good stuff and seeing what's possible for love, sex and intimacy at this time of rapid change. In these candid and intimate conversations, I'll be bringing you the best of sex and relationship education, full of practical ways to support and inspire change in your intimate life. I'm your host, Sarah Rosebright. Whether you're curious about what's possible or you're already committed to exploring, I'm so happy you are here. Welcome to this conversation, today's episode with Christiane Palmas. And I've been really um, wanting to have a conversation with Christiane for a while. I love Christiane and who she is. And I see her very much as a wise woman and an elder. She works as a mentor and a guide with women and women's communities. I've done sessions with her over the years and, and she's very much that role for me. And I really, one of the many things I value about Christiane is that she carries um, such embodied and grounded wisdom and has a way of articulating things that just somehow pierce through her clarity, her clearness in her, her words that just pierce through things and just land and touch hearts in, in a really um, beautiful way. And so really delighted to share this conversation and we really explored so much fertile sort of territory we had a conversation about the state of the world today, which is one I've been really wanting to have. And as part of this, Christiane shared her definition of leadership. She talked about how to thrive amidst the tension of current times and also how to listen to how you can meaningfully participate in life at this time. Um, she shares her story of eldering and how for her in her 50s, life keeps getting better and better, which is so wonderful to hear. We had a great conversation about orgasm and Christiane reframes orgasm as a threshold. So rather than seeing it as a full stop, seeing it as a threshold that we cross and the sense of possibility and what's available to us the other side is just, um, yeah, just really wonderful. And I just love that description of orgasm as a threshold. That's what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna keep using. Self-pleasure we talked about and how we can use self-pleasure as a way to alchemize feelings and emotions. Why it's important not to conflate the words sexual and the erotic. Christiane shared the story of Eros and what Eros is and how she sees Eros as differing from the word life force. We also had a conversation about what women's community needs to thrive. Um, and this one really surprised me and um, some other stuff. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Welcome to today's episode. And I'm really delighted today to be joined by Christiane Palmas. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Oh, it's such a, I've been really looking forward to this conversation with you. And I was working out that it's nearly 10 years since I, I met you in san francisco oh is that right how wonderful yeah it's been a good decade hasn't it 
<laughs> well, I look forward to hearing about how it's been for you. And and, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we met in 2013 on sexological bodywork training. Mm-hmm. And um, you were one of the supervisors on the course and we've stayed in touch ever since. And um, so, yeah, so I'd love you to tell my listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Mm. That's such a good question, Sarah. We probably will get into the, the, the reason that I can't just give you a spiel. Um, and I'm delighted to not be able to just give you a spiel, which is really a part of the, the, the aging process that I'm in. Um, but in, to put it in a nutshell, I would say I'm a, a guide, uh, which I've chosen, a guide and a mentor, and I've chosen to use those words as, a, as opposed to a coach. Um, and I work primarily with women and I'm almost, uh, you know, I'm almost exclusively interested in women's voices uh, in leadership and power conversations around power and embodiment and belonging. Um, and, and there always has to be a caveat because when you use those words in, in, Western industrial culture, we immediately imagine an influencer or a politician or a, you know, a, a, um, a Fortune 100 entrepreneur or something like that. And and in fact, I I define leadership as um, in a very in a much more ecological way, which we can get into because not many people are using the word ecological in terms of human human culture. But yeah, I work with women around voice and power and um, reclaiming a the 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 identity of of as of leader. Mm. Beautiful. And so. Tell me, I'd love to hear a bit about your journey into this place where you are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think I think it has everything to do with my age. I'm 56 and I have felt, um, I'm sure there are others out there who, who are saying this kind of thing. It, for me, it has been really true that I feel like every year that has passed since 50 has been so much just exponentially um, better than the last in terms of my sense of myself, my sense of my place, my, um, my, the, the falling away of care, concern for how others are seeing me and what others think and do I need to take care of them and how are they doing? Um, so a much more liberated sense of, of myself in the world. And um, yeah, and so at this point, I'm so much more able to follow my inspiration and feel the purity of that inspiration as it guides me in what I'm doing. And so slowly but surely over the last, I would say, probably six years or so, there's been a refinement and a falling away of things I don't do anymore and the things I do do and the, th- and, and the, the capacity to, to describe, to actually put language to the things that I care about and that feel very distinctly like they're mine to do. And having said that, I, I, there's, a, there's a way in which the age that I'm in right now, the, the life phase that I'm in right now, definitely, um, it, it's like a, it's a precipice for a threshold 
I, I can feel myself crossing into a stage of life that feels very distinct and has a certain um, quality of tension in it because I'm, I'm approaching what I would call, um, well, I'm solidly in what I would call my queen if we're gonna use the maiden mother, queen crone model. And I'm, I can feel the crone or the elder right there. I can, you know, I've got, I might have another decade and a half before I feel like I'm actually there, but, but it feels like the last stage of my life in which I'll be really overtly productive. And there's this, this kind of culminating coiling energy in me to use everything that I have accomplished so far internally and externally materially and energetically to offer something that is it that is the the a very courageous um kind of outcropping of or the next the next thing that that is that is mine to do that is that's beyond the conventional stuff that I've been doing so far you know, I've been fairly, even as we're in the field of, of, of somatic sex education and lots of people kind of, Ooh. oh my gosh, you put your hands on people's <laughs> bodies. Um, that's only been a portion of what I've done, but, but, I, but I've done that and all sorts of other things. And, and they don't feel particularly courageous to me. They just feel like they're, they're necessary. They're necessary tools. There's something next for me that feels like it's actually going to be in some ways the last thing that I really overtly produce and offer to the human world, I would say to my people, to my human people. Wow. And is that something that you have a sense of what that is or are you in a place of unknown around that right now? I am in a bit of a place of unknown, um, though I I, I, yeah, I am in a bit of a place of unknown. I was going to maybe see if I could trick myself into coming up with something I haven't <laughs> been able to articulate before um, with your wonderful question, but it, it, it feels really important to let it be yeah. a bit mysterious right now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. There's, there's, there's so much there. And I just love that you share that each year feels like it's getting better yeah yes <laughs> you know because that's not mm -hmm. the, the the mainstream narrative we hear about aging and <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah no it is not is it is it and <laughs> and it, it certainly each year is more complex and there's even just in terms of my sexuality and my embodiment and my the the, the overt expression of my arousal which is terrain that you and I gallop around in regularly with our clients um, it get has gotten much more complex so it's sort of like uh, any old person isn't going to be able to figure me out it takes it takes a pretty nuanced and attentive person to to really find their way into my into into my arousal and that 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 includes me <laughs> for me to find my way into my arousal um and what i have found and i'm so curious uh, you're you're many years 
before me, but, uh, or after me, however, we would say that younger than I am, but, um, but I, in the terrain of arousal, it, it, it's so in keeping with what I've discovered everywhere else in my eldering, um, in my aging, that I, that the, the depth of experience and the kind of transpersonal nature of the experience is so much more um, intense and, and complex. Mm. Can you say more about that? What does that look like? Well, what does that feel um, like? Right. One of the things it looks like it has been, um, has been a capacity to use uh, what I'll, to use peak states of arousal, which include orgasm as a threshold and not the, as a threshold to the to the, to the, to the, to the, to the place I'm going to hang out in for a while mm. versus the, the culmination and the end, the result, the goal. <clears throat> and in that place, that's where the, well, that's where I experience a lot of transpersonal, um, more like me with the cosmos. It's mm. not about me with the person I'm with. It's, it's me, it's me in the larger ecology uh, within which I've I've dwelt my whole life. Um, and, and there are, for lack of a better word, there are downloads that happen there. That's where I've largely gotten any of the clues to this next stage of my, my, my aging process, my, my elderhood, um, and what I'm meant to be doing here. What's mm. my particular thing to be offering to, to everyone. Um, is in that space over there on the other side of the threshold that that can that can go on for as long as I'm willing to tend to it because it it's sort of like it needs it needs bellows to stay over there <laughs> not too many not too much and not too little but it, it, of right. course just right exactly there's a little bit of a Goldilocks That's... thing there which is you know most typical for for our gender I think. And did that surprise you that this is opening up at this stage? It's always been something that I have, that I've, it's always been something that has been true for me, this, this orgasm or peak state of arousal as a threshold and yeah. not the goal. Yeah. Um, certainly I can use it as a goal and have used it as a goal, but I have taught for a long time the, the, the health and well-being of using orgasm as a threshold and not the goal so mm -hmm. it's it's been and I've had it since early early like early adolescence I've had an awareness and a um a great affinity for that space but the depth of it and the the content that mm. it's sort of the me that is there over there has gotten so much more multi-dimensional three-dimensional um, and I, it's, it, when I talk about it, I often cringe because it starts to sound very kind of, um, kind of sort of new age or neo-tantra or something. And I'm, and I'm not, and I'm not necessarily, it's a very, um, for me, the word that would describe it best is ecological. I'm able to find my way into a landscape that is almost, um, un that is that is almost 
hidden to me in in my kind of day world consciousness mm. Mm. and i love that language of threshold <laughs> because there's so much that the orgasm is the full stop yes yeah yeah (laughs) the full stop yeah and to see it as this place of um threshold and opening so for you what are the for somebody listening who feels like oh I'd love to explore this place of the threshold and what's possible for me there how would you what what would you say to them who's someone who's curious about that you know as I have been inviting women to find their way over there uh, for years now the thing that I have found is most effective is simply saying that it's there is something there Mm. that it's not full stop what if it's what if it weren't full stop there's so much of a focus on the peak state and that which is i mean i could go on forever about how disastrous that is um but so many of our programs teach peak state experiences so many of our um sex coaching teaches the as you said the goal on the orgasm full stop that's it that's the kind of holy grail and and for some people who have found peak states elusive for very obvious nervous system reasons and trauma reasons um, yes, that is a goal. We want to he, we we want to get to this almighty place that everyone's talking about, and especially if it's linked to our kind of our full embodiment as a modern woman, that we're just wildly orgasmic and super easy for us to get there. Then then it becomes a, a real kind of uh, the, the the goal that we want to achieve, and that's understandable. So I don't want to make it sound like it's not important, but even just saying, what if orgasm were not the goal? What if orgasm allowed for you to find your way to a place that is dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. And just even having that, that perspective going into either a self-pleasure or a partnered um, sexual experience allows for a curiosity that keeps us paying attention mm-hmm. once we get to the place where most folks have told us we're supposed to stop. Yeah, and, and I, I, I prefer not to put too many words on it uh, because every time a woman comes back to me and says, I, I had three minutes in that place over there and let me tell you what I discovered, <laughs> it's just, beautiful. And I don't want to tell people, I mean, what I discover is mine. I think it's one of the places where we have the capacity to experience a reflection of ourselves and experience ourselves in, in a way that we, we don't, that I certainly haven't anywhere else, including all sorts of plant medicine and lots of other experimental non-ordinary states of consciousness. This is a non-ordinary state of consciousness that is a gift it's um it's it's an endogenous non-ordinary state we get there entirely of our own doing in our own chemistry Mm. we produce everything that is required to bring ourselves to this landscape 
And if ever there were a reminder that largely we live in a beneficent world, it is, it is our experience on, on the other side of that threshold. Certainly orgasm is a wonderful experience, but for so many of us, it, it's so quick. And, mm. and as the goal, it's kind of like a checked box. Mm. So, yeah. And it's also that sort of peak state with a discharge as part of it. So for you crossing that threshold, is there, is it a different type of orgasmic experience? I know you use the word decolonizing orgasm to take it off in a slightly different place mm -hmm. as well, which I'm really curious to sort of hear what you, what you mean by that as well. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, we're in the conversation right now when we talk about that, it, the decolonizing orgasm, but it's also a way to reclaim that, that sense of um, that really particular experience of embodied pleasure uh, for ourselves and, and stripping away the, the um, threads of expectation, the labels, the the sense of what it's supposed to look like, the images that we're bombarded with all the time for what the body is supposed to look like, what a, what an orgasmic body does look like, which is mm. what, like about 25 and perfectly groomed. And um, so the decol decolonizing has a lot to do with um, reclaiming. And I, I really have pulled away from using this word, uh, used to be the word that I used quite a lot 10 years ago, but rewilding. Uh, because it's been so commercialized in the last decade. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so, so, um, so you asked me a question, Sarah, bring me back to that. The, yeah. the... So curious in terms of people are so used to sort of that, that intense orgasm with the discharge. <laughs> and so is there anything that you would say around how someone might be at that threshold to keep the aliveness there mm -hmm. because yeah. i'm a, because with the discharge then the energy just goes doesn't it there's the full stop <laughs> yeah there's the full stop yeah especially for some of us more than others and there's a musculature that i think has like for for pleasure in general there's a musculature that has to be developed so we the more we we practice these kinds of things with intention the more able we are to be in the terrain for longer and with deeper experiences so and and with more creativity to come in so so th this is a thing that need like everything else that needs to be practiced um, regularly and with the intention of savoring brought in to really continue to grow the neurological synapses that have been pruned by this kind of quick one and done sort of culture that we have. Um, so the orgasm is different and, and, and that's why it really is a very specific practice uh, because it, it, it almost, what I, what I tell a lot of, of women is that it, you just do the tried and true thing that you know gets you to that place. So we're not gonna bring in all the bells and whistles and we're not gonna be doing all the big things. We don't wanna be exhausted by the time we get to the threshold, which is orgasm. So ev almost every one of us who can orgasm has a tried and true like two and a half minute job that can just get us there. And this is when, when, you, when you're looking to practice this across the threshold, practice of embodiment and exploration 
that's when you pull that out. That's when you, you know, you do your tried and true, very simple. I often um, invite uh, uh, like a, a paying attention to the heart rate, to the beats per minute, to the breath. There's no need to really have the orgasm be a workout. You're just bringing yourself there. Mm. And then you are, and then you can concentrate on what happens after you're across the threshold, um, which is for some people, some people will call it streaming. Some people will call it multiple orgasms, but you're actually focusing on, rather than focusing on the peaks over there, you're focusing on the valley. You're focusing on the quieter states and then you're bringing yourself, you know, you bring the bellows out and you're bringing yourself back to what might be another, what feels like a climax or just in intensifying the embodiment and the experience of arousal. And then you're coasting and you're paying attention to the coast. You're bringing, you might, this is a wonderful place to bring, um, a central question that you might have in your life. It's a wonderful place to bring grief. It's a phenomenal place to bring grief. It's a wonderful place to bring rage. I mean, we had, there's so many reasons to feel grief stricken and to feel enraged these days. And that environment, it, it has the capacity to metabolize so much deep, intense, critical, elemental emotion. Yeah, absolutely. I remember years ago reading when uh, Annie Sprinkle was talking about angergasms and yes, <laughs> you know, like my mind <laughs> yes. was blown that we could yeah. use our, mm -hmm. our, our, our intimate time to release these energies. But I've had so many incredibly and powerful experiences over the years where emotions have been transformed and alchemized and shifted in ways that just bloat my mind it's a way to be your own self-healer isn't it yes <laughs> and it really, really is. tend to yourself in that way in a very empowered way in a very empowered way and to have an experience of your wellness it, it there's a way in this practice that and and we don't we don't even need to be concentrating on the across the threshold place mm. but to be using our pleasure and our arousal and the cycle of our arousal in a way that's akin to um say the five rhythms gabriel roth's um, movement model that allows us to keep coming back around and each time we come back around we notice that there's a different emotional state that's happening for us and it's so often um this is certainly anecdotal but i but it's powerfully anecdotal to the point where i'm i feel comfortable even predicting that this might happen for women that that you know there might be the first the first cycle around which might be an orgasm or it might not it might be just a gentle peak state um is you know has has one emotional um flavor and color to it which which might be like sadness grief and then the next cycle around might have another emotional flavor to it which might be rage or anger and i do i see rage and anger as very different so i like to use rage um and and then and then the third come around, the third time around the spiral might actually be a sense of spacious joy. And there, there's such a beautiful medicinal thing, I think, that happens for us in there that we 
experience the normalcy of the flow of emotions if we don't judge them and 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 damn them and block them if we don't try to make them different that they move in a really organic way and they naturally continue to cycle and lead us back to a sense of wellness even amidst all of the things that are hard yeah I, I, I think that's such a, a beautiful thing. I'm really glad we brought this into the conversation, this sort of healing place of our pleasure and to move through these emotions. Well, I've had times where I've just burst into fits of giggles and, you know, yes. the next moment being sobbing yes. and all yes. of this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, it should be a certain way. It should be, you know, beautiful and pleasurable and all these things. Yes. But actually there's so much richness there. Mm-hmm. And shouldn't is it doesn't that make sense that that's the case? Yeah, um, that this is the energy of this is this is the most potent energy of life of inspiration and creativity. So, of course, all the things that go into having us be an, an alive and engaged human being will come into the into the field if we in, in this in these practices if we allow them to if we if we see that they're that it's healthy it's not just normal it's actually healthy yeah yeah thank you and one of the things I was would love you to speak to is the difference between the erotic and sexual mm. because mm-hmm. I think these two words are sort of thrown around and used interchangeably but are very different and so I'd love you to speak to that yeah, well, I feel very strongly about this because I, I would not actually um, categorize myself as part of the sex positive movement. <laughs> so I get so upset when the sex positive movement ha- just pulls um, really large elemental uh, e- elemental things into, into this um, a relatively small um, category, which I would say is sex when it comes to the broad capacity to feel pleasure and embodiment that has nothing to do with sex. So, um, so for me, uh, I love, I love to tell the, the story that is a kind of amalgam of a lot of different um, histories, Greek and Roman and pre pre monotheistic religion, the, the cosmology that says that Eros is the fourth God born after chaos. And so chaos, uh, the, the chaos is, is the soup of life that has no form. It's just pure potential. Nothing, nothing has started to create and spark and birth itself. And, and, you know, if we're going to really anthropomorphize the universe um, and the cosmos, we could say, you know, that, that whoever was watching this happening was saying, well, this is great, but it's not really entirely what we had in mind. This is not very exciting. It's just a soup of possibility with nothing actually coming out of it. And so, um, so, so along comes Eros in this beautiful ecological way. And Eros is, is all about the form that is possible, the, the form that comes out of the soup of possibility or the soup of the chaos that is pure life energy. So Eros is, is you know, I like to think of Eros as kind of this like hand ringing, sort of like really excited moment of what is possible here. And that is as, so Eros is, the, is a writer hovering over a blank page or a 
painter standing in front of a blank canvas. It's a, a business person wondering about the next way to move their business into something that's even more uh, sustainable and, um, and responsible. It's, it's two lovers or five lovers or one lover with herself wondering what, what's possible here. So it can, it can, it, it, the erotic is, is sexual and the erotic is not sexual. And really in order as, as people who work in this realm with folks, we know, you and I know Sarah, that when somebody comes to us because they have to work on a problem with their sex, so often in my experience, the first conversation, the first place of conversation has to be, well, how, how findable are you in general? Uh, how, how findable are you by Eros? How, how hospitable are you to the erotic? And that is such a broad question. How inspired are you? How poised to see the possibility in any given moment are you? How able are you to act on that possibility? And and we, in this place, we come right into, among other things, the conversation about the nervous system, because it's the prerogative of a well enough nervous system that allows our, us, us to be findable by arrows. So for me, erotic, the erotic, it's very important that the erotic does not just simply get swept into the, 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 the room of sex. Um, and I think Celeste, um, spoke to this on, on your, you know, when she was with you a while ago, that the erotic is, is um, some people will call it life force. Mm -hmm. I don't call it life force because for me, it's really specifically the potential, the form that comes from pure life force. What's possible next, which could look like an orgasm, a baby, a, a sumptuous meal, a garden, all sorts of things. Mm, thank you for bringing that to the fray because it's just such an important distinction mm -hmm. and um, I'd love to shift gears now because I'd love to I really want while you're here to make sure we have some conversations about leadership because I could talk to you for hours about the sexual and erotic yeah. and all of this but mm -hmm. I just know you've got such wonderful wisdom to bring and you know especially at this time in our history mm -hmm. and so you know, there's talk of feminine leadership, women's leadership. So I would love to hear what do you feel, what is the way of women's leadership distinct mm -hmm. from men's leadership? And what do women have to, can, what can women bring at this time? What's needed at this time? And that's a huge, big question. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't yes. it though? Yes. <laughs> Right. Um, well, and well, I think the first thing I'll say, the caveat is that I don't know that this is a specific way that uh, possibility for women. I don't know if this is a distinctly female form of leadership. Um, I know that it is, um, I, I use the term midwifing. And traditionally, midwives have been females. So, so, so I and I and I work with women. So um, for me, it is a it's a conversation that is about female leadership or women's leadership. Um, but but who knows? I'm sure there are 
men uh, who and males who who can embody this as well but so so for me in this particular time you you spoke to you put the the conversation into the context of this particular time in history and history is a is a um is a very human centric lens so we can say this historic time and this ecological time because we're in as much of an ecological as we are a historic time and maybe one has caused the other um but we're in a time undoubtedly inarguably at this time at this point we are in a time of extreme collapse and to the point where i don't actually believe our human minds can comprehend what it will look like in potentially even just a few decades. We just don't know, we don't know. Um, and and there's, there's deep transformation and there's deep adaptation and there's all these different ways to look at the, the what we're doing right now. Um, and But we know that the way we have been living that is so extremely complex and removed from any uh, sense of viability, um, it cannot sustain itself. And human societies are communities and societies and families are unraveling. Um, we've got infants on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. There's just all COVID really just undermined and, and sped up so much of what was already happening at a certain cadence. So there is, and, and any female leader who is paying attention, whether she's a politician, a businesswoman, a teacher or a mother or coach, mm -hmm. um, who feels the responsibility of her capacity to guide her people, whether they're her two-year-old and her five-year-old, a classroom or a business or whatever, will be feeling the acute nature of this time. And we can get swept up into feeling like we have to fix it, that there's something to fix, which is a very egocentric way of looking at it. And then we can use all of our ancient capacity to listen deeply to what is happening in the, on the planet and, in, and to the planet and, and all life. And we can trust the fact that something here is happening that is probably maybe who knows larger than anything else that's happened in human history. And we can imagine, we can invite ourselves to midwife it. We can imagine that what's happening has an intelligence to it, albeit with horrific collateral damage, um, the extent of which we probably don't know. And then we can also trust that something, that there's an intelligence, there's an erotic intelligence to what's unfolding and we can devote ourselves to participating. And our participation is so unique to each of us. I'm very interested in helping women listen to their particular participation. And there's a huge courageous thing that has to happen here for us to be able to dial back the sense of frantic uh, kind of, oh my God, things are happening that are awful, to be able to listen at this time for what actually needs to be protected and also listen for what needs to be assisted in its dying. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that 
that um, nexus point is that point of tension is I think being able to to not only tolerate that that paradox, that place of paradox, but actually thrive and be generative there is, I think, a particularly female capacity. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just taking a moment to pause with all of yes. that. You know, yes. To allow that to just think, to just to, to, to feel that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it speaks to something that you shared at the beginning, you know, in which you just re-emphasized of seeing women's leadership of any woman anywhere, like you say, with the two-year-old, the five-year-old, the, the, the big business, it's, it's mm -hmm. where our role is. So for someone listening, how might they observe their place of participation? You know, mm -hmm. if, if they're taking this like, oh, because there's so much, there's tendency to fix, tendency to just be feel overwhelmed. There's so much um, I'm seeing personally in my world, increasing mental health, um, uh, you know, and, and hearing that from professionals and all sorts in terms of real distress, which is obviously a symptom of our times. So yeah, for somebody listening to give them some, share some wisdom that may give them some things to tend to or to observe. Mm -hmm. And and I are you, Sarah, I think you're asking specifically uh, about how might we go about discovering or excavating the particular thing yeah. that is ours to do yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard because we have a culture that's really structured, um, I believe, strategically <laughs> to, to keep us from doing that very thing. So, um, so I think one of the first things we have to do is create time in which um, we are able to feel, which is often not comfortable, to feel the lion's share of what it means to be alive at this time. And these are some huge emotions and, and oftentimes they can feel unmanageable. They can feel scary. Um, so that's why, so here's a tug on the thread of women's, women's community and really authentic, uh, my words, ecologically robust women's, women's community, um, where the, the purpose of it is to come together and listen to each other and to um, help see, oh, there's a bit of the spark. There's a spark that you're identifying. I see... I see you light up or I feel a particular depth to the grief you're talking about when you speak about this particular thing. I'm just going to take the squeaky toy away from the puppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, that one. <laughs> um, yeah. Because it's a bit like a, um, like a treasure hunt. I don't, we're not going it, to, it's not my experience that for something that is as complex and paradoxical as acknowledging that there's a death and a birth happening here and that the roles that we're playing are in some ways very similar, but also have quite different characteristics and capacities that are required. Um, it's, it's not just something we're going to figure out. 
we won't use our prefrontal cortex to answer this, to solve this problem. We'll be guided there. But in order to be guided, we have to ha have moments in our lives where we're guidable, <laughs> where we're not numbed out. And it's perfectly great to be numbed out here and there. Um, but where we're actually, we can hear the voices of some would say our ancestors, some might say the land we're living on, some might say our soul, some might say our spirit, whatever is, you know, there's all different ways to, they're all, there are very, very many different things we can be listening to at any given moment that are really essential in this process. Mm, so yeah. practices, yeah, regular practices and regular places that we protect that allow us to drop into that space, which can be that orgasmic, but that yes. post-orgasmic space that we were talking about. I bring a lot of my, my deep, my deeper questions mm. to that mm. practice. And as you said earlier as well, sitting in the mystery, because we so yeah. want to nail it. And, and, and um, I was interviewing, I think it was Kendra Kunov, and she had this idea and she said it took two years to come to fruition to even start to come to fruition and we're so like oh I'll get it done in six months and 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 you know getting out of our clock time into the bigger yeah. quantum field of time exactly <laughs> yes trusting that there's a there that that we're part of a river and a part of a current that um that cares about us actually learning about ourselves and participating in the very unique way that is ours. We don't have to will ourselves into knowing a thing. We can, we can actually nourish ourselves to participate in that current, to be in the current and we will have assistance. Mm. And I was curious because some, something you said earlier as well is like you noticed in the last few years, the things falling away and the things getting clearer mm -hmm. to create that sharpening. Cause I feel this, I'm 50 next year. So I mm -hmm. feel this growing urgency of what is my place? Where is my service? And, and, and so many of my sisters that I'm having conversations with are experiencing uh, at my age group are experiencing this as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, did it surprise you what fell away and what got clearer in that process? uh no I don't think I was surprised uh by by what was falling away it was the, it was a great relief mm. um I think I was surprised that it really happens I I've heard enough from the elders in my life to know that there is this marvelous well there's this marvelous moment um which I I can remember and it's like a oh my goodness what a relief where women in, in maybe in many cultures, but certainly in industrial culture, um, what one of my mentors, Bill Plotkin calls conformist consumer society, which I just love, um, where we get to a certain age and especially if we haven't had a lot of cosmetic intervention, so we really look our age, <laughs> we really, really look our age, um, we disappear. We become invisible uh, and it's not an all or nothing, but, um, but there's a certain way that I realized I had reached that point and it allowed for so much else to so, so much that's part of the being 
not only visible, but in some ways a kind of a target or, you know, an object, a, an objectifiable target that um, when that goes away, there's all this other stuff that is part of that kind of thing, that, that structure that fell away as well. And what I wasn't prepared for was the sense of liberation and the shocking realization that a lot of calories go into for me, and I was not a particularly um, sort of rule following female in this culture. Uh, but so even for me, the, the, the things that fell away that allowed for, that were taking up so much space that I wasn't even conscious above, that'll allow for so much else to happen that feels so much more pure and important mm. wow my friend Rita she said that she said menopause is liberation <laughs> yes it is it is it, it's also a bitch I mean I I will I will say I am all for the like diving into the deep you know what's the message at 3 a.m when you're having your 12th night sweat and it goes on for half an hour I'm all for like getting out my journal and what's the message <laughs> and and it's it's it is it can be a real yeah bitch yeah <laughs> another podcast i listened to the other day Catherine hill and she said it's the most uncompromising teacher she's ever had <laughs> so it really yes and fickle i mean just not like you don't what happened yesterday don't think it's going to be what happens yes happens tomorrow so yeah. you don't get to rest in anything <laughs> that's the one thing i feel i'm really learning at the moment is just, just have to stay day to day in the mystery <laughs> isn't it so it's so important day to day right and what has to happen to our lives in order to allow us to be to be in that so yeah very hum humbling and empowering at the same time yeah absolutely and and coming back to leadership and and so you mentioned sort of practices time to 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 listen spaciousness for that as well and and you mentioned women's circles, so and women's culture, and I know you do, uh, you you run courses. I love you to speak to those in a, in a moment. And so, for a robust women's community, which is what you spoke about, what does that look like for you? Um, mm -hmm. I'd be curious to hear. Uh, well, so just because I know that we have a certain amount of time that we're going to take with each other today, I think the first thing that, um, and maybe even the only thing that we'll end up talking about in terms of women's culture is conflict and generative conflict. And one of the m m sort of most horrendous things that's happened to us as a culture um, in general, but certainly to women's culture and women's community is this idea that conflict is dangerous and uh, is, is to be avoided, that we're not safe in, in disagreement and that um, community means agreement. Well, community actually needs diversity and dissension. It needs, and it, and it, and, and not with the with the goal of coming to some sort of homogenous agreement. It's, that's not what community is. Um, that might be what our chosen communities end up looking like. We kind of cherry pick the people who go to the same yoga class and wear the same shoes and aren't we all, we are, you know, we're so alike. 
and that must be, you know, that must be the important characteristic of community, but actually um, true authentic community doesn't have the value of agreement. It has the value of respect and iterative ev evolution. Mm -hmm. So the a, a community is only as strong and as, um, as viable and as productive as it is generative. And conflict is, is, as far as I know, really one of two best ways to, to develop deep, uh, intimacy that has tensile strength that allows for evolution to happen, that allows for new ideas to be generated on and new expressions to be created on a regular basis. So, so the, one of the most important things that I teach and focus on in, in, you know, in the places where I coach women's community is, um, generative conflict and repair. I think um, Susan Coates was sharing in one of your in your conversation with her that one of the worst things <laughs> is that nobody teaches us how to repair, you know, and how do we how can we, of course, consent has become an issue of don't cross boundaries. Yes means yes, no means no, maybe is always no. And and it's very flat. And um, and and what we really need to be focusing on is what happens when we inevitably cross each other's boundaries mm -hmm. and how do we see that as a generative and deepening and deeply um, intelligent moment? How can we take that and weave it in and metabolize it? And so for women, uh, I think particularly who have all sorts of front-loaded ideas about disagreement and conflict, to be able to be given the model that it's okay. I don't actually need you or expect you to like me ever, ever to be in community together. I expect you to respect me and listen to me, be open to learning from me as I am with you and from you. And we can go from there, but then to be able to know our way through and trust that we know our way through a, an intense disagreement um, is, is paramount. If we don't know that, we really aren't in community. Mm. And I guess that's a, a very, it's a skill set to learn, isn't it? How to be with and handle conflict and mm -hmm. disagreement from that place of respect and to stay with it. And so, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and all these things I keep saying, so this is where we pull the nervous system in because obviously our capacity to see conflict as anything but terrifying yeah. and, um, and annihilating is, is, is a nervous system thing. We learn it early on and, mm -hmm. and those, those patterns, those nervous system patterns are, are deep and, and entrenched. Yeah, and so that's something you teach in your... Uh, online classes around around that amazing mm -hmm. yeah um, you touched on something else though that I'd love to sort of finish with which is the mm. the and again all these such wonderfully big topics was <laughs> what you shared about the consent and the flatness of this sort of yes no maybe means no so I'd love you mm -hmm. to, to speak a little bit to that because it's such a hot topic yeah yeah well so i think in order to say that what i'll say first is i i um i love susan susan coates's hot consent and what i would say 
Um, I don't necessarily agree with hot consent. I, I, I think from my, my terrain, what is um, a, potentially a more helpful way to look at it is it's not as sexy a term, but ecological consent, that consent happens in an environment and that environment is an ecological environment where there are all sorts of inputs and all sorts of outputs that change moment to moment. And they, they activate things in all the participants that are potentially undetectable to even the most nuanced eye, like even Gabor Mate and Bessel van der Kolk with, you know, staring with binoculars wouldn't be able to see when things are getting tripped up and activated. Um, and, and as it should be. So, so for consent, to, to look at consent not as a linear binary of either I'm a yes or I'm a no. And, and even in the, even in the, 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 with the invitation of, and you can change your mind at any time, it's not enough. It's, I think it's so much more helpful to be able to say, um, consent is so complex. If we take into account the learning zone, which is that really unique and very potentially mercurial place where we are actually able to learn something new that doesn't blast us out or doesn't bore us that to really be able to tune into the consent that exists right there is so nuanced especially for people in you know the consumer conformist culture who just have who, who are navigating so many incapacities. We don't get taught this. We get taught a very binary version of mm. my participation is either a yes or a no, but to really have a sense that, that, that the yes that needs to happen for me in this moment might actually feel scary. Mm. My nervous system might be patterned to tell me, no, this is unpredictable terrain. Um, and, and yet the thing that's really in my best interests is to say, yes, allow us to have that moment to moment navigation that doesn't, that doesn't, it makes sense that we, that we are really telling college students that a maybe is a no, like back up. Um, but what doesn't happen there is a whole lot of learning and, um, intimate evolution. Mm. Yeah, it's so complex, so many layers to this. So but yes. I just really appreciate you just bringing in that, that perspective and articulating that. So I'm conscious of time and there's so many more mm -hmm. rabbit holes I'd love to journey with you <laughs> <laughs> on. So I'd love to, first of all, just hear if you have any final wisdom to share. If there's oh anything that feels alive to just complete. <laughs> um. Uh, well, I think the thing that probably feels the most alive is um, is inviting us back into the possibility of of the moment that is happening for those of us who are alive at this time. It really does feel like uh, a, an opportunity to experience ourselves participating in such meaningful ways mm -hmm. that um, what I really hope for for the folks listening, the women listening, is that that they have the support in their lives to be able to lean into this time feel as if they're really um participating with all of their beautiful and unique gifts 
Yeah, beautiful. Because it's also such an inspiring and exciting time on so many levels as well. Isn't it? Yeah. It really is. It really is. And that's the paradox that I think yes. we really swim in so beautifully. Yeah. And mm -hmm. as this is the Sexy Life podcast, I'd love mm -hmm. to ask, what does living a sexy life mean for you? Oh, and so I would say, of course, I would say this, but for me, I can identify with that question even more if we say living the erotic life. Mm. Um, and so I'll say that and uh, I'll ask myself that. And for me, it has everything to do with being more involved um, with what what actually sustains me. So more involved uh, with having my hands on earth um having more uh direct intimacy with the food that i eat being outdoors a lot um paying attention to my dreams just being available to the information and the wisdom that is all around me but that is can get very numbed out um being involved with my ancestors having deep practices that allow me to have great intimate relationships with folks who lived a very, very long time ago. Mm. For me, that is community is very important. Um, sitting around a fire with community, being in council, having multi-generational, um, having multiple generations in my life. It's all very important and, and keeps me very alive and feeling very sexy and very erotic. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. And you've got a couple of courses coming up. So I'd love you to share uh, about Wonderful. the two courses. Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, yes. So um, two of the primary things I teach are uh, reweaving women's community and weaving in the dark. And weaving in the dark is really specifically uh, a course for women who are looking to identify their particular a form of leadership and the threads of leadership we were talking about before. Um, it's a beautiful course that we spend a lot of our time in a kind of gentle, non-ordinary state. So we're not gonna think our way into the, figuring things out, but there's a lot of poetry and a lot of quiet time and a lot of um, uh, different, different ways to access what we know. And then there's reweaving, uh, the Reweaving Mentorship, which is um, essentially an experiential women's group. So we learn about how to hold a women's group and about all that generative conflict we were talking about while we are in a women's group together. Mm -hmm. So it's a great opportunity to be in, in a group with a multicultural group, because typically there are women from around the world who are participating and are each wanting to learn their own particular way of holding a, a women's community mm, and so you have your main website which is christianepalmas.com and the links mm -hmm. they can find the courses anyone can find they're, the courses from there yeah they're Wonderful. all right there yeah. i'll share that in the show notes so yeah thank you so much for your depth of wisdom and your just aliveness and sense <laughs> of just beingness that you bring and I just love your articulation you know I so value when I'm listening to you it's like sparks of like aha oh something drops in and I just so value and appreciate you and in, in your eldering process and bringing that journey as well <laughs> so thank, thank you Sarah you. yeah yeah you're so welcome you're so welcome good to be with you oh it's been a pleasure thank you so much
Thank you for listening to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast with me, Sarah Rose Bright. I support women and couples across the globe to truly enjoy sex and pleasure and to create or deepen intimate relationships that are passionate and purposeful, happy and healthy, and I'd love to support you. You can book a complimentary call via my website at sarahrosebright.com to find out if my approach is right for you. And check out my website for information about my one-to-one coaching programs and any current workshops, group programs and retreats that I'm running. Wherever and whenever you are listening, wishing you a beautiful day.